How would you feel if you could say that you would raise $250,000 US for charity through pet photography and that those sessions were booked up to six months in advance? This is the reality for today's guest who prior to COVID worked with shelters all over the country, but despite being proud of those fundraising efforts, he wishes that he did it all differently. Before you tune into today's episode to hear all about it though, I just wanted to let you know that if what Adam says about in-person sales sparks your interest, definitely check out our fly on the wall video. It's a recording of a real sales session that I had with the client to take them from a $1,500 digital only sale to a 5K sale, which included multiple wall art pieces. The link for that is in the show notes, but if you want to check it out now, just head to thepetphotographersclub.com slash pricing. Welcome to the Pet Photographers Club. Tune in as experts share their insights to help grow your business with higher sales, creative marketing, and kick-arse business strategies. Now on to the show. Hello and welcome back to the Pet Photographers Club. I'm Kirsty McConnell and today I'm chatting to Adam Goldberg of A Gold Photo in Tampa. Welcome to the club, Adam. Hey, Christy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. So, I didn't think I told you actually, but basically I was doing a Google looking for my own webinar on the B&H platform and instead I found yours. It was a how to take better pet photos in the studio, a five tips thing. And then I also stumbled upon a YouTube clip on the Westcott lighting platform, the importance of shelter pet photography, I think it was. And I was like, who is this guy that I keep seeing everywhere and what's he up to? So I jumped on your head <laughs> and I read your about page and I was like, okay, okay, we've got to talk to this guy because uh, you and Mary actually as a team, but no Mary today, that's okay. I was quite excited reading your about page and yeah, learning kind of your story and where you're at to now, especially the way you've pivoted during COVID. So let's just back up for the listener who have no idea what I'm really talking about. And I might get you to introduce yourself, Adam, where you're based, what your business is and uh, what it is that you're offering today. And then we might go back a little bit as well. Yeah, sure. So I want to commend you on your research. This is our first time chatting and you know a lot about <laughs> us. So I thank you for kind of researching us. So we are in Tampa, Florida. The business started originally just as a volunteer position at an animal shelter. And even before that, I actually worked at an animal shelter in 2013 to 2015. And I didn't know anything about photography at that point. I was really just hired at that shelter to do the marketing. And marketing has been my background, which is really a reason why the business has grown so much. But about six months into that position, they had asked me to take over the photography program. And at the time, I, like I said, didn't know anything about it. So I watched YouTube videos. Your listeners might be familiar with a gentleman named Seth Castile, who does the underwater dogs. Are you familiar with him? I'm sure you must. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to get him on the show yet. But if anybody has any contacts, please hit us up. <laughs> I don't, unfortunately. But he had a, a series of videos called One, I think it's One Photo or One Picture Saves a Life. And it's a series of videos that they made, maybe six or seven videos about how to get better shelter pet photos. So I really like watched those intently. I probably watched, I mean, when I was first starting hundreds of times just to learn and see, because it was really, I was the key audience. I was working at a shelter and I was trying to get better photos of them. And then my position there, you know, I just stopped working there after two years and moved to Tampa. That was in South Florida, which is about three and a half hours away from where I am now. 
took a corporate marketing job and it really wasn't for me. I really missed working in a nonprofit setting, which is what animal shelters are. And I was really missing working with animals every day because I went from photographing animals five hours a day, training volunteers how to do it, to just sitting behind a desk all day. And I just took a toll on me. So then I decided to offer my services as a volunteer to the Humane Society here and just doing adoption photos on the weekends just for fun. Never a business idea, never a way to make money. It was just so fulfilled in life because I really, again, missed working with those animals and making a difference. And then the shelter asked me to host a fundraising event. And I had no idea how to do that, but I was really good at marketing. So I know I could probably, with the shelter's help, they have a big influence online. Also, with the shelter's help, fill 10 spots. And we charged $50, I think, and I kept half and they kept half. And it sold out right away. And then I did another one a month later, and it was two days worth, and that sold out right away. And the the time slots were 20 minutes long, sold out again. And I was like, you know what? I'm sitting twiddling my thumbs for the other 10 minutes of this appointment. I bet I could do every 10 minutes. So that's what I did, and that sold out. So the And it just kept selling out. And then I realized, you know what? Maybe I could reach out to other shelters in Florida. And Florida's pretty big, so there's a lot of shelters. And I would just reach out to them, and I would say, hey, this is what I can offer you. I'll plan everything. You don't have to do anything. We're going to donate 50% and it'll be at a brewery. I, I was a big craft beer fan and usually craft breweries have like an empty quarter. I love that out of the box thinking, Adam. I'm going to let you finish and then I'm going to come down and like break apart everything you're saying. So Yeah. And feel free to stop me too. I can ramble on this story. But the short version is when I worked at the animal shelter in 2013, we would get a lot of people that would want to do fundraising with the label of benefiting the shelter because there's like built in trust there, but then they would only donate like 5%. And it was always a joke internally, like, ugh, we got another 5% opportunity. And it was just like not worth the shelter staff's time. So I knew that. So when I called other shelters and said, Hey, this is my experience. I've done this in Tampa. It goes really well. I'm going to donate 50%. They don't have to do anything. I would plan it. I would set up everything. They really just had to, you know, if someone called the shelter, I wanted them to be aware of it. Right. So I didn't want it to be a surprise. So I always got the shelters buy in to do it. And it just took off. And then, you know, I started reaching out to shelters all over the country with the same pitch. I got turned down for maybe one or two that maybe already had a photographer they were working with. But other than that, it went really well. And then from 2016 to 2020, the beginning of 2020, I was doing that all over the country. You know, we would have a home base. I wasn't necessarily living in my van, but we would take our car, take our Jeep at the time. And then we kind of graduated to a van. But we were traveling all over the country doing these events and we raised about $250,000. Whoa. Yeah. For about, I think we worked with maybe 50 or 60 different animal charities in that amount of time. That's incredible. That's way more than I'm assuming you would have been able to raise if you were doing a 5% thing that you mentioned earlier. Yeah. That the photographers are offering. Yeah. And I didn't want people to be like, you're only donating that. So like, I felt like 50%, like no one could be mad about like, okay, yeah, the photographer deserves some money for what he's doing. And then the shelter will get the other 50%. So it just made sense to me in that regard, but also for my experience at the shelter. Yeah, definitely. I think you had a very unique perspective, right? Because firstly, you have this background in marketing, which I'm going to ask you about later on, maybe in the second half of this interview that goes for the members only. But then you also had the insights from working at the shelter. You knew how the people there thought. And when you took this proposal to them, uh, to other shelters, you know, you already knew kind of what was going to get you over the line and make it happen. So it's definitely a unique 
perspective, but then also you obviously know your numbers and you knew how much you could afford to run it for and all of this kind of thing. And you've tweaked that system during your first experience too. You said originally it was 20 minute sessions, then you reduced it 10. So you've really refined this process along the way. So I know things changed in 2020 with COVID. So before we get to that half, I would love to dive a little bit deeper into what you were just saying about, you know, that you just raised $250,000 for shelters, for 50 shelters or something. And during that period, Adam, so, and by the way, huge hats off to you and congratulations, because that's an amazing effort. You should be, I imagine you are, but definitely you should be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you did mention then that when you reached out to these other shelters with your proposal, it was typically that you would connect with a brewery and then that would be the location for the photo shoot. So talk to us about the kind of details around the planning for that. I mean, was your first point of call to contact the shelter or the brewery, for example? Yeah, so I would contact the shelter first. I didn't want to get a brewery excited if I, you know, didn't have a shelter to partner with. I guess I could have tried a different shelter if I really wanted to be in a certain city, but I would always reach out to the shelter first and get their permission or their buy-in. And in the beginning, some shelters would send volunteers with a marketing table. But as time went on, I realized there's only like maybe 18, maybe 24 clients in a four or five hour event. And it got kind of boring for the volunteers. So I said, you know what? You're welcome to be there if you want to send volunteers, but you don't have to just because they were just stand around and it wasn't like 200 people there for them to interact with. So eventually it got kind of boring. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So first things first, you would contact a shelter or a rescue that you wanted to work with. If you got the green light from them, then you would contact a brewery. And what was the offer for the brewery? What's in it for them? Is it the feel good factor? Is it a marketing thing? Do they get money? I mean, how does it work for the brewery? Yeah. So we didn't pay them. We would usually do it on an off night. So like a Tuesday, sometimes Saturday afternoon, but eventually that got to be too busy. I wanted my own Saturdays. But then we would do it like on a Tuesday night or a Wednesday night, and it's usually dead. It was never like, what's in it for me? I never had a problem with the breweries. I don't think I ever got turned down from a brewery, if I recall. I could be wrong, but I don't think I got turned down. But my pitch was an email or I would reach out to them on Facebook first and said, hey, I'm looking at hosting a fundraising event for... XYZ shelter, who can I talk to about that? And they would usually direct me to the taproom manager or the marketing manager. And I would write the same email because I knew it worked after a certain point, include a few photos, include what I would need from them, which is very minimal. And it would be a feel good promotion on their end. So they're marketing that they're working with the Humane Society or a rescue that I was working with. So very little like what's in it for me pushback, which was great. Mm, yeah, nice. And I feel like because you were donating such a large portion of the session fees to the rescues and the shelters, and because you had, I imagine, as you were growing and going along, so much evidence behind you of how much of an impact this could make, the breweries really, what do they want to say no for, right? Yeah, I mean, they loved it. I got really close with a lot of the brewery managers. And I think what it was is going back to like what's in it for me, it really helped the staff at these breweries because they got to see these dogs come in and they all loved it. So maybe they're having a long day or they're working really hard. And then the managers of these breweries love the attention the dogs brought and the happiness that the pets brought in. So I think that probably was a motivator for some of them. Wow. And it's something that they probably wouldn't expect at the time. Like when you first reach out to them and they agree, I imagine that didn't even cross their mind that like, oh, this is going to be so good for our staff morale. I mean, it never crossed their mind until afterwards, but it's probably the reason you could go back to a lot of these breweries. Did you go back to many of them? 
Oh yeah. All the time. Yeah. So in Florida, we would have such a good relationship. I would just be able to like text the manager. Hey, what do you guys think about this date? Great. Okay. You have the space. Oh, right. So we great, like a really big trust relationship that everyone bought beer. There was always a food truck usually, and it was just a win-win for everyone. Wow. Lovely. So how often were you offering these events for the same shelter at the same brewery? So when it was just Florida, I'd have to go back and look to give you an exact answer if you want one. Anecdotally, I think the same shelter, maybe once every three months, if I had to pull from memory. But like the Humane Society used to do, I did it at the shelter, the Humane Society in Tampa, which is like the main shelter I work with now. We did it at the shelter for some. And then some shelters didn't have spaces. So I would do breweries because sometimes the brewery would be booked that night or something the night that I had available. And then I would maybe try to do it at the shelter if they had a space. But then I think once every three months, I would try and do a recurring event because it would sell out. And then it was so cheap, which I'd love to get into the pricing structure of that and why I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. You know, we could talk through it. But as you grow as a photographer, I would not recommend charging what I was charging. Okay, actually, I definitely do want to talk about that. I was just interested to see because you kept saying that these events kept selling, or you have said, sorry, that these events were selling out. So I was thinking, gee, how often are you going back? I mean, every couple of weeks, but no, every quarter or every season, it kind of sounds like, which is quite a nice amount of time, I imagine, to be able to offer something like this. So, okay, let's break it down a little bit further. So most of the time you're going to somewhere neutral, like the brewery, but sometimes you can do it at the shelter as well. You've got this system down pat of being able to, you know, contact the venue, the brewery most of the times and uh, be able to offer something to them or propose it to them in a way that they really have no reason to say no. You've built up these great relationships with all different shelters, which maybe we'll talk about a little bit further, creating those relationships in the second half as well. But then what is the actual inclusion for the customer? So they're booking, they're having this 10-minute shoot. What are they getting? How much are they paying? And yeah, obviously, we know 50% is going to the rescue or shelter. Yeah. So it kind of changed over the years. I think in the beginning, it was $50. We would split half of it. And at that point, it was never like, oh, maybe I could do this full time. So it was more so just like pocket money. But they would get, I think, three digital photos and I would edit all of the photos to hope that they would pick more. And I think I was charging $15 for extras. Ooh, how often do you sell extras? In the beginning, not as much. And I was like, oh, this is ridiculous. I would go on my lunch break and just edit pictures unnecessarily. Now I would never edit a photo that no one's about to purchase. We always do it after the fact. And then it graduated where I offered packages. So like there was a package A, B, and C where A was three photos, B was five photos, C was maybe six photos. And then sometimes we played around with it where we included prints and we included a canvas print that we got really cheap from overseas. So it uh, grew and we would test different packages over time. I'm kind of fast forwarding, but I would never offer packages again. And I will never offer packages again. We could dive deep into that too, but just tested different theories. So when people would sign up, they could say, oh, I want to pay the donation. And then I want to have a package of five digital photos, or I want a package of five digital photos and a five by seven of those digital photos. So we would send them a gallery using SmugMug, which we still use today, but for a different reason. SmugMug, if you're not familiar, is like an online photo sharing site. It lets you sell goods and prints. And it's a great way to catalog everything. This is not an ad for SmugMug. I'm not sponsored by them at all, but <laughs> we've been using them since the beginning. And it's great because there's no um, storage limits or anything. But it's like similar to ShootProof, if you're familiar with that. SmugMug is pretty well known. 
So, okay, you changed, which, I mean, I think is quite important to recognize that things need to change in your business and then implement those changes. We do that continuously, right? I mean, you must still today making little tweaks, maybe not as much as, you know, you were back then, but even today, we all make little tweaks in our business to make it better. That's how we will grow and improve. So I hear that, you know, over those couple of years or three or four years, you've really refined the system and the offering. So ultimately, you must have been trying to get to a particular average sale, were you? No, I didn't even have that mindset. I had no idea how to run a photo studio like I know now. And I wouldn't even consider ourselves a photo studio. I feel like I was a photographer that people were coming to because they liked the style. I didn't let them wear clothes. I didn't let them wear collars. I had like a very particular brand that I was trying to keep. And I just knew that I was able to pay my bills. And my accountant that Mary suggested I get never told me to go back to work. (laughs) So I'm really bad at math. It's like my least... (laughs) I'm really bad at math. Accounting is not my strong suit. So as long as I was paying my bills and knew I wasn't doing anything like that, and I probably should have, but I knew that if I had six months saved up in savings, if I made no money, I could survive for six months. Well, you know, I imagine your accountant was happy with that because that's usually what they always tell us, you know, make sure you've got your six months set aside. So (laughs) We would do in our busiest month, we had 300 clients a month in November of 2019, which is like right before the holidays and 300 clients a month. And we would profit maybe a hundred dollars a client. It's like $30,000 a month. So I, I wasn't really keeping track of it at all. It sounds like because you didn't really need to, Adam. I mean, if the revenue was continuously increasing, I mean, that's the goal, right? Yeah. But I think what I want to get across, it was never about money to me. And I see a lot of people that you know, might be another type of photographer and they see people who love their pets and that they're going to spend money on their pets. And if you're doing it for the money, I think it's the wrong reason. Well, especially in your business model, I mean, your entire model, it began because you were donating your time to help these shelters. And then you were able to help them more by also being able to pay yourself because then you could give more time, right? Exactly. Yeah. So then, um, well, I can keep going. But if you have a specific question, I, I'd love to answer. I'm kind of all over the place, but I like when you bring me back in. <laughs> no, no, no. You're doing great, Adam. I just like to kind of dive in and get some nitty gritties out as well. But um, the story along the way is really interesting. So, all right. So back then, before 2020, you were basically going all over the countryside. You had a, quite a profitable business model, even if it was, by the sounds, leading to a bit of burnout or overworking. You managed to refine your structure quite a lot so that, you know, you were becoming a little bit more profitable per shoot and all of this. I mean, because in the beginning you were making $25 per shoot from what I understand, half of the 50, right? Yeah. Yeah. So then the basic package we kind of landed on for a few years was 150 and we kind of shifted away from 50-50. I'm just remembering this now. So we would charge 150 for the base package. You would get five digital photos and we would donate 50. Okay, nice. In the end, it actually worked out better for the rescues than when you first started because for that same rescue in the beginning, they were only getting $25. And by the end, that same rescue was getting 50 and you were making a bit more. Right, exactly. Yeah. So once I kind of, I would test threshold. So if it was selling out and you kind of alluded to this already, if it kept selling out, I probably wasn't charging enough, which I know now I was not charging nearly enough. But I think one thing that really helped was when I realized that we would plan our schedule like 10 months in advance. So going to COVID, we were booked from March until October of that year, which is insane. 
And we had to refund all that money because we were already sold out for the most part into October in of March in 2020. So that just tells you it's a little taste of what we'll talk about later. But that just tells you we weren't charging enough. And we would do like six hour events. I'm on the floor getting up, getting down, getting up, getting down for five hours at a time. It just wasn't sustainable at all. So like COVID really like changed our lives in a positive way. I imagine, Adam, I want to dive into that. I want to dive into, I mean, obviously you have an incredible marketing strategy behind to filling up and selling out sort of six months in advance. Also, you've learned a lot along your journey, which I think says a lot about you as a character and big credit to you. And now you've completely since 2020 changed up your offering entirely. So I want to dive into that shortly, but I'm going to save that for our members. So let's wrap up part one now. Before we do that though, can you just let the listener know where they can find you, what your business name is, your URL and all of these kinds of things so they can check out what you do and support you, Adam? Absolutely. So we post the majority of our photos and behind the scenes work on Instagram, which is a gold photo. Our website is the same, uh, agoldphoto.com. I do have a Facebook group. It's called Pet Photography Education Powered by Eagle Photo. I'll be honest, I don't post in there as much as I'd like, but I'm planning to create a course at some point. So you'll be the first to know if you're in there. And we started doing some stuff on TikTok and we kind of stopped. We can get into that for the members too. I think that'll be interesting conversation. And we get a lot of photographers that reach out with questions on Instagram. And eventually I'm going to make a series where people can write in questions and I'll make a video about that specific question. I just have to get my act together first, but that's the goal. So that's where you can find me, but spend a lot of time on Instagram. Excellent. Def- I would definitely pop all of those links in the show notes. And I'll also link to those couple of YouTube clips that I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode, the one where you were on the Westcott lighting um, channel and also the B&H one as well. And also maybe we can pop a link to the Seth Castell's um, YouTube clips that you were talking about as well, Adam, for the listener that wants to go back and check those out. But for now, we're going to wrap this one up and move into the member zone. Thanks for listening to the Pet Photographers Club. To subscribe to the podcast, check out other episodes and keep up to date, head to thepetphotographersclub.com.